Please turn with me in your copy of the scriptures to the last chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28. The reading this morning will be the entire chapter, but the text of our message will be chiefly in verses 16 through 20, and even more narrowly in verse number 19. Let's read all together in the Word of God in the last chapter, the entire chapter, as we understand what the Holy Spirit has for us this morning to learn of our Savior Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 28, verse number 1. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And, behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings! And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountains which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. Thus says the word of God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we would look into these holy words. And thank you that you have opened our eyes by the Spirit to behold wonderful words of life. Lord, would you direct our hearts this morning to, to understand all that the Spirit has for us? Would you shape and fashion us into servants like your Son, Jesus Christ? fully submitted to do the will of the Father, and let that be our meat, Lord. And so continue to shape us, break us, and remake us into the kind of servants that make your fame spread abroad, around the world, a beginning in our own heart, in our own home. Father, we plead with you. Would you become great, And may we become less. 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we come against this last part of our study in the book of Matthew and up against a passage that's known to be like the, it's called the Great Commission. The Great Commission. And really all along through this chapter, we have heard something of a, of a, a theme, a, a word theme that the Apostle Matthew seems to be um, uh, alarming us to. From the very first verse of Matthew 28, we find there to be a telling. If you were to write just the words telling over the entire chapter of Matthew 28, it would be appropriate. For you find the telling, and it is just the telling of one thing. So notice, by the way, how many times we come across someone telling something, but it's about the resurrection. It's about Jesus alive. After the Sabbath, Mary and Magdalene go and they see the tomb and we see that the angel descends in verse number two and three and his appearance is like lightning and he speaks to them and he says to them, do not be afraid. So the angel tells the women. And not only does the angel tell the women, but then in verse number seven, he tells the women to tell the disciples. So it's a tell and tell. And so the the women turn away from the angel then and they faithfully obey and they go to tell the disciples. But on their way, they're interrupted by the appearance of Jesus Christ in verse number nine. And he greets them and he tells them something. So we have an angel telling the ladies to tell something. The ladies are about ready to tell the disciples something. And then Jesus tells the ladies something. And then as they're on their way to tell the disciples a faithful record of what they had seen and what they had heard, someone else is telling something. And we're alerted to this in verse number 11. While they were going, behold, there's another story being told. Well, actually, the true story is being told to the religious leaders. The soldiers go and say, there was this angel and there's this empty tomb. And, and uh, there's no way to explain for this because nobody came in and got the body because we were standing there the whole time. And so they tell the religious leaders and the religious leaders tell the soldiers, listen, you go and tell the wrong story. And listen, if this is ever told to the governor, we will tell him, we will tell him that's okay, here's some money, just look the other way. And so then the soldiers do what? Notice in verse number 15 that they go and they tell the story. Even in a perpetuation so that even when Matthew's writing this, maybe some 30 40 or even upwards towards 50 years later, the story is still being told that the disciples stole the body. Now, the disciples were told to meet Jesus in Galilee. They were, were hanging out in Jerusalem. But they were told to meet Jesus in Galilee. And when they go to see Jesus in Galilee, according to verse number 16 and the verses following, Jesus tells them to go and tell. So you see, we have tell, tell, told, tell, 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 all over the place, and all of it is the same story. Go and tell. Go and tell that I am the Savior of the world. I have overcome death and the resurrection and life, and those who follow me will never perish. So from the very beginning of Matthew 28 to the very last verse in Matthew 28, everybody's telling, listen, the same story. They can't get away from it. The title of the message this morning is Christ's Commission. And this is part one, but it is submission. This morning we're going to be looking at chiefly in verse number 16, 
where the scriptures, verse 16 and 17, where the scriptures say that the disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And we're also then going to look at verse number 19, where Jesus commands them to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. The commission of the disciples of Christ is centered on wholehearted devotion, wholehearted worship of Jesus Christ. That is, the great commission that you and I have, that we have been entrusted with and commanded to accomplish, is centered on worship of Jesus Christ. But we understand also that the commission to go out and make disciples is fraught with our own weakness. We recognize, like the disciples, that who are we that we could accomplish so great a mission? Yes, we're, we're willing to worship Christ, but, but we're also very aware of our own sufficiencies, very aware, aware of our own inabilities, and even of, at times, our, our proneness for rebellion. But the commission of the disciples of Jesus Christ, centered on, on worship of Jesus Christ, it was fraught with human weakness, but it was assured success by divine power. So let's look at the first of that part of that statement. And first of all, discipleship begins with the worship of Jesus Christ. Listen, discipleship begins with the worship of Christ. It's not the commission in verse number 19 is not go and make like those are two different verbs. It's since all of this happened on behalf of the world, as you go from here, disciple people. All around you, especially in all the nations. Be making disciples as you go out into the world. All of this, all of Matthew, the 27 chapters, but all of the works of Christ leading up to this moment, has led up to this point of the mission. And listen, God's mission must become, it is by nature, by the way, God's mission is our mission. God's mission has always been his people's mission. And verses 16 and 17 give the overarching picture of the weakness of the disciples in their worship. Notice that both are present. Verse number 17. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. This is likely a common theme of any group of disciples who gather with Christ now as his church. Let me ask you this without a show of hands. How many of you have come here to worship, but you're doubting? How many of you have doubted? How many of you find yourself in seasons of doubting in the midst of worship? It's a common experience among followers of Jesus Christ that they can simultaneously worship and doubt. The reason of this doubting, this word doubt here, is do not understand, to be confounded. It does relate to a lack of sincere or complete trust. But I think the emphasis here, the, the, the helpful understanding here, is that they do not yet completely comprehend all of what God is up to in Jesus Christ. They're still, still absorbing all of what Jesus has done. By the way, have you fully absorbed everything Jesus has done for you? No, we are still comprehending. We are very much like them. And so it's a common theme, really, of, of any gathering of God's people where, where we have this weakness, and yet in the midst of our weakness, we're worshiping, and we know we don't have it all together. If God would wait until we have it all together to receive worship from us, the pews would be empty in the churches of Jesus Christ. 
But praise God, he accepts worship from doubting disciples like you and I. Praise God that he, accept, he, expect, he accepts an incomplete worship in the sense of, a, of, of we don't know everything that he wants or that he's up to or everything about him, but we have come in reverence, we have come in trust, and we're bowing before him and submitting unto him in adoration and in all. We don't have it all together. And God doesn't say, listen, when you have it all together, then come to me and prostrate yourself before me, and then I will receive your worship. Listen, if God waited until you had it all together, there would be no worshipers of God. But worship is the beginning of discipleship, and it really is the, the very core of discipleship. The Great Commission doesn't begin with a command. It begins with a position or a posture. Notice the posture of these men. Before Jesus, and really in the middle of, of their worship, is when Jesus gives them the mission. Okay? These men, the word worship here, likely, I believe in, in, every, in every way we can expect to see this with our, our biblically illuminated imagination, that these men are not standing before Jesus. They are literally on their knees, and their heads in the dust, at the feet of Jesus. Here in Galilee. That's what the word worship means here. It is the word bow down to. And I believe it is an outward posture by these men. And as Jesus is receiving these men and their worship, in the middle of their worship, in the middle of their adoration, and in the middle even of their unsurety about all that's taking place, because so much has happened in just a short period of time, Jesus says, as you are revering me, as you are adoring me, as you are placing me rightly, let me tell you a further response that is driven out of worship. And the Great Commission begins with worship. Who he is and who we are come before what we do. Being comes before doing. Try to make disciples without being in a right relationship with God is trying to fill up a cup while it's upside down. Let me say that again. Trying to make disciples of Jesus Christ without having a right relationship with Jesus Christ is like trying to fill a cup that's upside down. The cup doesn't, doesn't get filled, and what else happens? The people remain thirsty. And so we need to be careful that we begin ministry, we begin in our discipleship of others. And, and yes, we can see what other people need Jesus Christ. By the way, we are experts, aren't we, at knowing where someone else needs to submit their life to Jesus Christ. And we know exactly what we would tell them if we could give them a piece of our mind. Right? But the fact is that reaching them and ministering to them must first, must first be driven out of a worship of Jesus Christ, not out of just a desire for someone to change so they don't bother us anymore. And so, worship precedes mission. Discipleship that isn't attached to worship is just mere religion and it's binding to the conscience and damning to the soul. 
You see, the converts, the proselytizing, the teaching, the, the converting, um, the catechizing of people in this world done by religion and done by even under the name of the Church of Jesus Christ when it is not attached to biblical worship of Jesus Christ firstly. And it's not, it is not a driven out, it is not a response of worship of God. Is simply just binding to the conscience and damning to the soul. Worship motivates discipleship. You say, I have a hard time. I have a hard time really giving of myself to making disciples. I have a hard time pouring my life into others and showing them who Jesus Christ is. Likely, you're struggling in your worship. Likely, you're struggling in your posture. You're not bent down before Jesus Christ. You're standing. And so you're not understanding what it is to bow down before Jesus Christ. No disciple was ever born who did not worship Jesus Christ. Disciples are followers of Christ who want to crowd around them as they look unto Jesus Christ. Is that you? That's what the heart of a discipler is, is, is you're desiring to have a crowd around you to behold what you are looking at who you are looking at. Worship precedes mission. But worship is principle to mission. It is principle to mission. That is, worship is the message of discipleship. Like what John Piper said years ago, he said, missions exist because worship doesn't. Missions exist because worship doesn't. You say we can't detach discipleship from worship. In Psalm twenty two twenty seven, the psalmist says, All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. There is no discipleship where there is no worship. People must hear about Jesus because there's no salvation, there's no worship where the gospel of Christ is not heard and where the gospel of Christ is not believed. And so in Acts 4.12, the uh, Apostle Peter says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. In Romans 10.17, the Apostle Paul says, Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The Apostle John says in his short letter in 1 John 5.17, Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And so then Jesus says in Matthew 28.19 then, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. He is saying, make me known that others might worship me like you are here. I see you, John. I see you, Peter. I see you, Philip. You're worshiping me. I accept that. The Philip, make a crowd of worshipers. Go into all the world and say, I am worthy of worship. And gather around you more disciples. I'm beginning with you eleven, but I want there to be a heaven full of them. A heaven full of people who will worship me. But how will they hear? How will they know to worship me if they do not hear? How will they ever be told if you don't tell? So go into all the nations and tell them that the King of kings and Lord of lords is worthy of worship. And so, it is principle to mission. Worship is principle to mission. And then worship proceeds. It's the result. It's the happy consequence. It proceeds from mission. 
Like Jesus had made them disciples, so they were to make disciples like He did. You see, the whole three and a half years, as we've been walking along Jesus' side, really following Him like the disciples, listen, Jesus was teaching the disciples how to disciple. Not just how to inherit the kingdom of God, not just how to be converted, but the book of Matthew was given even to us as a church to say, hey, here's how to make disciples. It's like, I think sometimes we want there to be a Matthew 29. Okay, now you just said, Jesus, you just told us, go out and make all the disciples of all the nations. Now tell me, how do I do that? And Matthew says, I've written 27 chapters about that. And that's why the word therefore is in verse number 19. Go therefore. What's the word therefore? Therefore you know. It always means, look back and what, what, what preceded therefore. What preceded therefore in Matthew 19? 20, almost 28 full chapters of discipleship. Now, Jesus has been discipling his disciples to be disciple makers. The whole time. You've been reading, we've been following, we've been tracking Jesus, making disciples all through the book of Matthew. And then we come to the end and we say, but wait, 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 tell us. What do you want us to do again? And he's like, just read. Read the book. And so, Jesus made them disciples and he says, remember how I made you a disciple. Disciples are born when disciples bear the message. It's God who does the making Psalm 96, the psalmist says, Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. In Isaiah 12, verse 4, the prophet says, Make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. In Romans 15, 9, the apostle Paul says, when um, God sends Jesus on the mission, he says, In order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. And so worship proceeds from uh, missions proceeds from worship discipleship proceeds from worship we can't say we love God we love Christ but we're not going to be on the mission he sent us to do we can't say that we love worship we love even congregational worship or we love our private devotion but yet reject the very mission that worship motivates us into. I love Jesus, but I'm not going to do what he said for me to do. We can't say that. Worship proceeds, is principled to, and precedes discipleship. But God knows that we're going to fail. And we're going to flop around and be uncoordinated like a junior high boy playing basketball. We're going to get out of sync, awkward looking. And I've never seen a, a not awkward disciple maker, not a true, I've never, even up close, up against godly men and women, I've still yet not seen a professional disciple maker. Why? I think it's rooted in the fact that disciple is, discipleship is, by, by God, is is driven in the midst of doubt. We may not understand um, the why and the ways of God, but we know enough about the how that we should obey faithfully. 
But so often we come to God with excuses and our unbelief and our doubts. God, until you explain some things to me, I'm not going to serve you. Until you let me in on the why or the way, I'm going to withhold my submission to you. But we know enough about the how that we should obey faithfully. You see, doubt should not keep us from obedience. Doubt should never keep us from obedience. Doubt and lack of understanding can be the pathway to deeper faith or a discouraged unbelief. It depends on the posture. If you doubt, keep worshiping. Because doubt is often a necessary ingredient in the pathway to closeness to Jesus Christ. It is often when the truth becomes tested, when God's God's immeasurable and his steadfast faithfulness is tested and is and is critiqued and is questioned that leads us into a greater and deeper and more resilient and sincere faith. When truth when the truth of God is tested, it withstands the test. And so doubt is often the necessary ingredient in the pathway to closeness to Jesus Christ. None have come to Christ who didn't first doubt. This Greek word for doubt is used only two times in the entire New Testament. And they're both found in the book of Matthew. Matthew used this earlier and now he brings it up at the end and he's, he's not saying whether or not he's included in this, that he's a doubting one, but it seems like he's willing to leave that open to say, I know what it's like to doubt. Do you remember in Matthew 14 when Peter says, Jesus, if it is you, let me walk on water to come to you? In Matthew 14, Peter is sinking into the sea while he's trying to walk and Jesus meets him and picks him up. And before entering the boat, Jesus is still supporting him on the choppy waves and the storm there. And Jesus says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Doubt is given to us as a special picture of Peter's wavering. Because what he was seeing was disrupting him. And one commentary says, the doubt here in Peter's life, amounts to hesitation, indecision, and perhaps even uncertainty. And Peter doubts. But he's the only one who answers rightly to Jesus when Jesus commands him to not be afraid. Peter sees Jesus. Jesus says, don't be afraid. And Peter gets out of the boat and begins to walk on water. And Peter says to Jesus in the next verse, he says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. You see, Peter has faith. And while he's walking on the water, he also has doubt, though, too, doesn't he? He exists, if you will, in two modes while choosing to move forward to Jesus. Let me say it again, he exists in two frames of mind. Doubt and dependence. 
but he is moving forward to Jesus. He is the only one who lifted up his arms to Jesus and said, If it is you, command me to come unto you. The others remained in doubt. Not in doubt mixed with faith. This in doubt ought not keep us from following Jesus. Jesus invites us to come in the midst of doubts. He invites us to come in the midst of doubts. And he sends us to go in the midst of them too. Do you catch that? Here they're worshiping Jesus and some are doubting. And he doesn't divide them out and he says, ten were bad and two were good. Like the spies in Canaan. He doesn't say the doubting ones stay back here for lesson 102 on disciple making. The rest of you who have figured it all out, go and make disciples. But I have some more work for you, Thomas. I have some more to teach you. Jesus gives the commission to worshiping, doubting disciples. Would you ever give the most important mission in the universe to worshipful doubters? You would if your power was what changed lives and not the doubters. You would if you were God. And God has given that mission to you and I. Worshipful doubters. Doubting disciples. The fact is, whether it is come to Jesus or go and tell, we need to move. We will fail. We will sink. And Jesus knows this. But Jesus commissions and sends out those with doubts. Jesus doesn't guarantee wealth. He doesn't guarantee to them safety. He doesn't guarantee pretty much anything else. The only thing he guarantees is that he will be with them in commanding presence. Jesus motivates his doubting disciples to move forward, to go, even though they don't have it all figured out. He, he commands them to go forward and his, his motivation to them is his commanding presence, not just his presence, but his commanding presence. When they go, as they doubt, as they suffer, as they die, he will be with them. He will hold them. They won't sink. They won't be alone. They won't be forsaken. They will go to the ends of the world and to the end of life itself. But they will go with him, with his sovereign, powerful presence. Jesus says, verse number 18, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, so while you're going, therefore, since I have a commanding presence in your life, go, you're not going to make money doing it, and you're not going to be safe. But my commanding presence, not just my comforting presence, but all authority in heaven and on earth will be with you in my presence all the way until all of this is done. And it reminds us that the, the mission to accomplish, the commission to obey, must not be done on the basis of human strength and resolve. 
Our commission, our mission must be done in faith and reliance upon the Lord. It's comforting for us to know that 2,100 years ago, more than 2,100 years ago, disciples of Christ struggled with doubt, even being in the very physical presence of our risen Lord. We aren't the first generation to struggle with doubt in believing upon Jesus Christ. The disciples had seen an empty tomb and a risen Lord, and still some doubted. So number three, discipleship is lifelong mission to the nations. Galilee is where Jesus had first commissioned the disciples to go to Israel and preach the gospel of the kingdom. And now as he asks them to return to the mount, there in verse number 16, he meets them just like the ladies had been commanded to tell them to go and tell the disciples to meet me in Galilee. Jesus comes back to Galilee and in his signifying by that place, I had sent you into all the villages to preach the gospel of the kingdom. But now we're going to preach a gospel without borders. I want to break this open and I want you to spread the, the, the good news to all nations. The fact is that the gospel wasn't, wasn't only for Israel. The gospel was always for the Gentiles. But working through Israel and appointing his son to be a son of Israel, God overruled through Israel's unbelief and rejection. Israel was the pathway to the cross. Israel's unbelief became God's sovereign provision for the gospel itself. And so Jesus says in the going that all of life for the disciple of Christ will be about being a disciple. It will be filled with commission priority. Life will be about serving Him. So, the word reads, as you know, that it isn't go, it's while you're going. That the mission of the disciple to make disciples is not an intermittent one. It is a continual lifelong calling. Every part of our life has to do with worship and obedience to Jesus Christ. And so in light of your worship of me, Jesus says, since you have found what it is to be in my presence, since you're acknowledging that I am the Lord over life and the Lord over death and I am the risen Lord, soon to be ascending to the right hand of the Father, in light of your worship of me, go and tell others that they too can worship me and see me like you see me. Since you have worshipped me, and since you acknowledge that I am the Lord of Lords with all authority in the universe, commit yourself to my will. And so the mission is really, it's about submission. The mission is about submission. The question this morning isn't, do you know how to make disciples so much as, do you know how to worship so much as, Uh, Are you going to go into all the nations? The question is, are you going to do the will of the Father? Are we going to submit ourselves under the commanding presence of the King of kings and Lord of lords to while going into all the nations to tell others that they too must fall to the feet of Jesus? Are we going to submit to the will of the Father? In John chapter 6, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. 
But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never cast out for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the prayer of every disciple. Every true follower of Jesus Christ ought to be praying this prayer. I have come to not do my own will but to do the will of the Father who has sent me. This morning in Coffee Church in Christ we acknowledge that the Father sent the Son. And then here in this passage we recognize that the Son sends sons. Just like the Father has sent Jesus, now Jesus sends us. The Son sends sons. And so he says in John 6, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. God's will for your life. God's will for my life. Let's just replace the word great commission with will. God's will for us is that we tell. We tell like the angel told. We tell like the ladies told. We tell like Jesus told. We tell like the soldiers told at first. We tell like Jesus told again, and then we tell like the disciples told, and now we tell. We tell that there's a risen Savior. We tell others, will you come and worship Him with me? God is going to the nations. Oh, you better believe he is he is putting together a throng of worshipers. Revelation chapter 4 says of all tribes and all tongues and all nations. God is going to the nations. But will you go with him? Will he go with you? In all the world. Let's pray.